Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Let's come now to the Lord and His Word. And we are in the second chapter of Romans. Our text is Romans chapter 2, verses 25 to 29. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you, who though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Let us pray. Our Father, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you that haven't been with us, we're going through the book of uh, Romans. And this week, we arrive at the concluding verses of what has been determined to be chapter 2. And it's very important in Paul's letters that you know at least until you get to the, the ethical second half, it's important that you know uh, what the flow of the argument is. And so I want us to rehearse this. Throughout the first chapter, the Apostle Paul was indicting the Gentiles. And he was surrounded by the Amen Choir. You know what the Amen Choir is? It's, it's people that are in complete agreement with what you're saying. And so he talked about the utter perversity of the Gentiles that the Gentiles this, and the Gentiles that, and the Gentiles the other thing. And he went on and on and on talking about the wickedness of the Gentiles. And because predominantly the New Testament church was a, a, a Jewish place, God's people, you can hear all of them going, yeah, stick it to them, stick it to them, yeah, 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 yeah. He talks about idolatry, about sexual immorality. He talks about all this stuff. And then he gets to the end. And then he says, now you. Well, the you is an indication that he's now talking to the people who hate Democrats. Now, why did I say Democrats? Well, because that's kind of the way you have to think about what he's saying to get it. Who do you think is dirty morally? And, you know, you can say, well, adulterers and druggies and alkies and, you know, sociology professors. But you have to think beyond the particular to the general. And so who's the placeholder generally for the people that we look down on and think that they're lawless and that they have no fear of God? 
Well, generally, those people are the Democrats. It's not by accident that when I write, I often put an N in. And it's not intentional. It's a Freudian slip. But I write Democrat instead of Democrat. And I have to keep taking N's out of the word Democrat when I write it, you know. That's how most Christians in this country who honor Scripture think of Democrats. They think of Democrats as people who have no fear of God. All right? Now, don't get political on me. I'm not being political with you. I want you to understand that there aren't just individuals that you look down on, but there are categories of people that you think of as being morally impure. People who have no fear of God. All right? Now, to the Jew, the Gentiles were Democrats. They were people who promoted homosexuality, who promoted the freedom to kill their unborn children. They were Canaanites. They were people who made no pretense of being clean. To them, cleanness was not judging anybody. And go ahead and let the babies be killed. Go ahead and let people have sex with dogs, animals, other, other men, other women, whatever you want, go ahead and do it, right? Because the ultimate value to the Canaanites was freedom, right? Now, the Apostle Paul has whooped up on the Canaanites, on, on the Democrats, on the Gentiles, and what the Jews think is, yeah, have at them because they're filthy. And the, the apex of their filthiness is what? That they're not circumcised. That's the very top thing you say. When everything is said and done, the ultimate thing is that one of them has, has taken a bit of flesh off to purify themselves. And that taking that bit of flesh off stands for purification. I mean, it's not hard to, to see, right? You cut off the flesh, and that is a symbol of what? Of the mortifying of the body for the sake of purity. And then out of that flows an incredible number of other disciplines that you engage in that make it clear that you're pure, right? You don't touch a body. You don't have sex at certain periods. You don't eat this. You don't eat that. You, you wash when you come to make an offering. There, everything is about purity. And so the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 is, is just saying what every Jew knows, and that is that the Gentiles are dirty. They're filthy. Then he gets to the beginning of chapter 2, and he says, now you. And what he's speaking to are people who think they're pure. So these are the Republicans. Now, again, I don't mean this to be political. That's not my point. My point is, these are the people that think that they know what the Constitution says. These are the people that believe in states' rights. These are the people that, that think a man should have to work hard to provide for himself, that, that the border should be clean, you know, that, you know. And, and so you've got the Republicans, you've got the Democrats, and here they are saying, yeah, they're filthy. And the Apostle Paul says, now what about you? You know, you look down on everybody else, what about you? Do you commit adultery? And, and everybody's like, uh, no, I don't commit adultery. And then Jesus comes along and says, any man that looks at a woman with lust in his eye has committed adultery. And so all of a sudden the wide-mouthed frogs become small-mouthed frogs. They're cut down. He relegates them. All of a sudden, they're a little more hesitant to claim superiority, you know. And the Apostle Paul says, what about you? You know, you who say that you shouldn't, that you shouldn't worship idols, do you rob temples? Do you steal? 
And all of a sudden, the Jews who think they're clean realize. I remember a day when I was up at the Capitol, and I had a friend who was an appellate judge named Ted Najem. And I was up there, and we were talking. And at that time, he he was uh, a part of this church, and he was saying to me that he was so sick of Republicans thinking that they were strict constructionists when it came to the interpretation of the Constitution. And yet, their constructivism went out the window as soon as there was some, you know, some issue that conservatives were in favor of. All of a sudden, we'll forget what the Constitution says, you know. I'm, and, and, and we all do this. You know, the Jews thought they're clean, that they honored the law, that they knew that the law should have top priority, that they would observe the Sabbath, that they would do this, that, that, the other thing. And yet, what Paul does is he shows them in chapter 2 that they are no better than the Gentiles. Okay? And none of us, no matter what our political affiliations are this morning, none of us have to think for one second to know that the American political system on both sides of the aisle is utterly hypocritical. Alan Bloom pointed this out in the closing of the American Mind, where he pointed out that, that the man who was viewed at that time in America as being the very fountainhead of conservatism and principled and family values was a man who is, you know, when he was president, he was divorced. Alan Bloom was homosexual, And he was scandalized by divorce among conservative Americans because of what it did to the children. Listen, there is hypocrisy everywhere. It is on both sides of the aisle. It is Republican and Democrat. And there's hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle of religion. And the Jews were hypocritical because they looked down on the Gentiles as being dirty and they gave themselves to theft, to idolatry, to adultery. And they were proud. It's one thing to be ashamed of your hypocrisy. It's another thing to be proud of it. And so the Apostle Paul is working his way on And he shows that, yes, the Gentiles are lawbreakers, and they're filthy, but look at you. You are a lawbreaker, and you're filthy. And then he trots out circumcision. Now, what was the placeholder of circumcision at the time? Well, circumcision was the objective physical work that was done to reassure the Jew that he actually was Jewish and that he was safe. Circumcision was the sinner's prayer. Okay? Circumcision was the four spiritual laws. Circumcision was praying to receive Jesus. All right? Circumcision was that ecstatic experience you had when you asked Jesus to forgive you and you've never forgotten it and you've never gone beyond it. Circumcision was something that a person can do after which he can be confident that he will never suffer the judgment of God. Do you understand this? 
something we look at, it's something we've performed, and we build our lives and our eternal destinies on that thing that we have done. God had said that if your children, your servants, if, if you don't circumcise your children, if someone isn't circumcised, what? They're to be cut off from the people of God. They are not to be able to come to the Day of Atonement, to the Passover feast. They are not to have anything in common with God's people. And so in the Old Testament church, circumcision was, to the Old Testament church, what? Baptism is in the New Testament church. It was the physical act of initiation into the people of God. Are you all with me? Circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament, you are not a part of the people of God until you're baptized. Okay? And so here they are, and he's told them that they're sinners And when he gets done telling them they're sinners, you can just feel the resentment against the Apostle Paul. You know, it's like, come on. I have spent my life being a good Jew. You know, I'm I'm of the tribe of Judah. You know, I, I circumcised my sons on the eighth day. I have observed the Passover faithfully, the festival of booze. I've been at the Day of Atonement. I have given to the temple. I have I have taken my my bird after the birth, I have, I have done everything a Jewish mother could be expected to do. And you better tell me that my children are saved. Because ultimately what a mother wants is not the love of her husband, but the salvation of her child. And these Jewish mothers have done everything they've been told to do. And here the Apostle Paul is telling them that they're sinners, that they don't actually honor the law the way they think they do. And then he tells them what? For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. Well, the whole reason that they're looking to their circumcision at this point in the argument is because they don't practice the law. He's just shown them that they're hypocrites, (coughs) right? And now he tells them that circumcision is of value if you practice the law. In other words, it's of no value if you don't practice the law, right? But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. It's like, are you serious? You're telling me that if I disobey the law, I'm uncircumcised? So, if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law... Now, you remember how I tell you that, that, that these first chapters of Romans are a boa constrictor constricting. They keep getting more and more intense. They keep sucking the air out of us until we can't breathe. And this is a heightening right here. You all recognize it, right? He says... If you're circumcised, you don't keep the law, you're actually not circumcised. But that's not nearly as bad as what he says now. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcised (laughs) man? It's like, are you serious? You know? 
the uncircumcised man that keeps the law is circumcised? In other words, the Apostle Paul is establishing something in the West that we refer to as what? Back in 1217, there was something that was stamped by the king called the Magna Carta, okay? And the Magna Carta established something that is foundational to common law ever since. My goodness. I guess I had no idea where in the sermon it was. Yeah, here it is. It's right at the end. <laughs> well, that's good news for you. Okay. 1217, the Magna Carta, the Great Charter, was sealed by King John at Runnymede. And here's the crucial clause. It says this. It says, no free man is to be arrested or imprisoned or deceased or outlawed or exiled or in any other way ruined, nor will we go or send against him except by the legal judgment of his peers or by the law of the land. To no one will we sell, to no one will we deny or delay right or justice. In the Western world, in the English-speaking Western world, it is foundational that we have what? Equality under the law. Equality under the law. All men, whether they're commoners, nobles, or the very king of England, were equal under the law. Thus, no man, no matter how humble, is below the law and undeserving of its privileges and protections. And thus, no man, no matter how proud he is, is above the law and not subject to its condemnation and its punishments. Do you remember how Paul has written that God shows no favoritism? The Apostle Paul is establishing in these chapters the absolute equality under the law of Jew and Greek, of Jew and Gentile. There is a radical egalitarianism in Scripture. And the Apostle Paul here establishes it by saying that if the uncircumcised, the dirty goy, if he keeps the law, he is circumcised, which is the apex of cleanliness, of holiness. Okay? And then he intensifies even more with verse 27. He says, and he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you? I mean, honestly, think about that. Think of the Apostle Paul writing Jews and saying that an uncircumcised Gentile is going to judge them. 
Come on. Feel it. It's like, are you serious? Everybody knows judgment is for the righteous. Are you serious? Are you telling me when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a Prius-driving Democrat judging me? If he keeps the law, yeah. Brian will be able to tell me, I can't remember who said it, but there's a quote, I want to say it's Mark Clemens, but I don't know. But there's a quote that says that patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. Who is it? It is, oh, it's Samuel Johnson. I said in the first service, it's Mark Clemens or Samuel Johnson. That's interesting, it's Samuel Johnson. What does he mean by saying patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel? Well, you could as easily say circumcision is the last refuge of a scoundrel. What does he mean when he says that? Well, think of the Ephesians. Precious Jesus Christ is preached to the Ephesians. And precious Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the cross liberates men and women from idolatry and they stop having to buy all these expensive things that are supposed to appease God for their sins. And guess what happens? Well, the entire trade of Bloomington is built on basketball. And so, as the trade begins to die, you know, Christians start stop going to assembly hall and bowing before the flag on Sunday afternoons because they want to be in church and bow before Jesus, right? All of a sudden, what happens is that there's a riot downtown against Clearnote Church, and what do they scream for two hours? <laughs> well, I'm going to say, great is Bobby Knight of the Bloomingtonians of the Hoosiers, You know, it might be Go Big Red, it might be Archie, who knows who it's going to be. But they're going to scream the God of the city. And for two hours, the Ephesians said, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is why? Well, because the money, the business, the, the the merchants were losing money. So great is Artemis of the Ephesians. As if it was about Artemis. It wasn't about Artemis at all. It was about money, right? Patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. And that's what circumcision is to the Jews. That, okay, you've cut them off. You've made them see that they're as bad as the Gentiles. You've made them realize they're adulterers, they're thieves. And so finally, it's circumcision. And then he says, no, actually, those who are physically uncircumcised will judge you. If they keep the law, they're going to judge you. The Apostle Paul is taking away every single defense. Every single defense, he just takes it away. Okay? Every single thing we would use to say that we have assurance of salvation. And as evangelicals, we sit there and we say, well, we don't baptize our babies. 
And we don't have seven sacraments. And we don't think going to daily or weekly or monthly mass or, you know, confession, we don't think last rite save you. And, and, and yet, what does save an evangelical? Precisely what is it that does save evangelicals? And you know, it used to be that you could say the sinner's prayer was what saved us, but that's not what saves us. What saves evangelicals is that we have sort of this sense that Jesus loves us and that we need to be loved. I mean, honestly, if I were to say what I think most Christians believe today, I think that that's it, you know? Well, you know, I need to be loved, you know, and Jesus loves me, you know? And that's it. So that's our sacrament. And if we admit we need to be loved and we, we say that we believe that Jesus loves me, you know, what more could you ask for? <laughs> you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I'm not making fun of Jesus' love. That's not my point. What I'm saying is that we all have external things that we can do that are our assurance of salvation. The thing that does not assure us of salvation is that our hearts are broken and humble before God. That's it. Do you understand me? If people leave this church, the reason they leave this church is because they do not want to have a heart that is broken and humble before God. That's why they leave. Categorically, that's why they leave. Well, okay, not categorically. There are some people who are put in a box and it's closed and they're put in the ground when they leave this church. So there is more than one way to leave this church. Okay, there are people that go to a different city to get a different job. Listen, I'm saying leave this church like the Apostle John says when he says they went out from us because they were not of us. And all of us know, and every time Mary Lee and I are away from this place, we talk about people, and there have been an absolute constant number of people who have left this church because they refuse to be sinners among sinners. They refuse to depend upon the grace of Jesus. They refuse to confess that they need the grace of Jesus. They do not want to be humble and to live with other humble people. They do not want their sin to have to be covered over with love by other people. Okay? Okay? And that is the definition of people with uncircumcised hearts. These people can talk and talk and talk about the sinner's prayer. They can talk about the doctrine of justification. And they have no humility. And if a man doesn't have humility, he has no circumcised heart. And this is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. The Apostle Paul is dealing with people who had all their ducks in a row, and then, just as a fail-safe device, they had circumcision. Okay? But they had no humility. You'll all be very happy to know that this man that's supposed to give you some inspiration spiritually for the first time in his life is actually ahead in his Bible reading this year. Come on. Yeah, come on. Come on, clap for me. 
thank you. And uh, I kept telling Mary Lee every day, I'm getting caught up. I'm ahead. And the thing I love about, I have a number of things I love about reading on Kindle, the Bible. But one of the things is that it gives you a percentage when you get done every day. (laughs) It's like, I didn't know I needed to be rewarded. Every day. The percentage won't change unless you read 10 chapters in a day, by the way. So don't get discouraged. And I have been noticing, another thing I love about it is that you can mark things or highlight them and then export that instantly instead of having to go through the Bible and see all the places you've marked with certain things. And I have been noticing recently all all of the places where God says, I will not, I absolutely will not protect you if you're proud. If you're proud, you're going down. And God's saying that because you humbled yourself, that he will lift you up. And the weird thing is the people he says that about, like Manasseh. These wicked kings, when they humble themselves, God has mercy on them. It's unbelievable. God hates pride. God resists the proud. And what we're dealing with here in this text is the distinction between a Jew who is one inwardly and a circumcision which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And let me tell you, we all know in this church who those people are. If they were to veil themselves from head to toe, you could tell it by the way they walked. You know what I'm talking about. When, I w- when we were down in, in the city the last couple of days, uh, we had this uh, cheap, real cheap room that was right on street level. The door opened onto downtown the corner. Open right there. And so I was sitting on the bed. The door was open. I was looking out. And there was this young woman, and she knew where she was going. And everything about the way she walked, her posture, her head, her bearing, everything about it said, I know where I'm going. And then after her was an older woman who was very heavy. And she walked completely differently. And I looked at the way she walked, and I thought, I have seen that before. And then I realized that it was the way Mary Lee's mother walked. And then I began to think, well, what is it about her walk? And then I realized that there was a feminine meekness in the way she walked. Isn't that weird? These older women would even walk in a way that would confess their faith. Their sexuality. And in the church, there are people who everywhere they go, everything they say confesses that they have circumcised hearts. And there are people who, everywhere they go, they show that you have what? 
that you have failed them. And they are the accuser of the brethren. And there is nothing about them that is circumcised. Nothing. They may be circumcised in the body, but they are not circumcised by the Spirit. Do you understand me? We had a man that left this church recently, and there was another man in the first service who was here. And I said, you tell them if I'm telling them the truth. I said, that man, when he left, said the reason he had to leave this church was because he was not able to confess his sin to the elders. (laughs) And I knew how the elders had poured their lives into this man, pleading with him to confess his sins. Oh, he'd confess his sin, yeah, you know. And he'd shove your nose in what his sin was. He'd tell you all about his sin. But there was nothing about him that was humble. It was manipulation, always manipulation. And let me tell you something. If a church is going to honor God, it has to protect those with circumcised hearts. Do you understand this? It has to protect them. It cannot allow men in this church who are beating up on people who are humble and have circumcised hearts. No. Every church should make it as uncomfortable as possible for people who want to say that their foreskins are circumcised and everywhere they go are attacking people. Come on. How can you have a place safe for the meek and humble? where you have pride running roughshod over everybody. Do you think Jesus would have allowed one disciple to whoop up on all the other disciples for three years? The Apostle Paul is making it intolerable for the church in Romans that he's not even there for them to have people in it who think they're clean. Can you see this? Romans is a real letter. It's real pastoral care to a real church where people are really angry that he said to them that the Gentiles are going to judge them. Come on. He is a Jew who is one and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. You know, it's very sad, but there are constantly people that you know, many of them claim to be Christians, who tell you what they need from you. Sometimes they'll say it explicitly. Sometimes they'll say it implicitly. Sometimes they'll send their family members to you to say it to you. And they tell you what they need. And what they always need is praise from man. There are other people who are quiet and who live meekly and humbly. And those people are waiting for what? Those people are quietly waiting for the praise of God. And the church belongs to them, and the others 
need to be gone. You don't kick them out because they have uncircumcised hearts. They kick themselves out. They always do. The church should be intolerable for anybody who can't stand what the Apostle Paul has written here, right? Does that make sense? It should just be intolerable. I'm going to end by reading um, a short section from Calvin on this. And you know who John Calvin is. He's one of the most revered figures of the Protestant world. And it's his comments here on this text that I'm reading. He says, Now many, seeing that Paul brings forward circumcision rather than any other part of the law, suppose that he takes away justification only from ceremonies. Well, he's talking about circumcision. It doesn't mean that other parts of the law-keeping don't have value. He's just talking about the ceremonial law. And that's why he brings in circumcision. But the rest of the law still has legitimacy, and you can still earn your way to heaven. Well, no, you can't earn your way. You need Jesus, but still, (laughs) you know. He says, now many seeing that Paul brings forward circumcision rather than any other part of the law, suppose that he, Paul, takes away justification only from ceremonies. But the matter is far otherwise, or just the opposite. For it always happens. Now listen to this. When, when Calvin uses the word always, you want to listen up. For it always happens that those who dare to set up their own merits against the righteousness of God glory more in outward observances than in re- than in real goodness. Now be very careful here because outward observance can be a posture of humility. The only thing that's required is that it be visible to everybody. Everybody has to see how humble you are. Everybody has to see that you're circumcised. Well, you can't see that you're... Well... Don't be superficial in how you think of what he's talking about, outward observances. Think carefully. They glory more in outward observances than in real goodness. For, and now this is priceless, listen to this, for no one, no one who is seriously touched and moved by the fear of God will ever dare to raise up his eyes to heaven. (laughs) No one who is seriously touched and moved by the fear of God will ever dare to raise his eyes up to heaven since the more he strides after true righteousness, the clearer he sees how far he is from it. Come on. Circumcision of the heart is realizing progressively, increasingly, that we are indeed shameful. And that there's nobody that can heal our shame except Jesus. I'm not talking about guilt. I'm talking about shame. The legalist talks about the atonement and how he doesn't have his guilt anymore. But you watch him, he can't handle his shame. And so despite claiming the atonement, he goes around judging everybody and showing how superior he is to everyone. 
But the Christian with a circumcised heart goes around confessing his need, and there's nobody he loves more than the person who confesses his sin. And then he loves that person, and love covers a multitude of sins. If you are going to live by faith, you must live as a sinner in the church of Jesus Christ. You may not live in this church with an uncircumcised heart. And if you condemn other people in this church because they are not as wise, as holy, as, as in the know, as humble, whatever, as you are, it will only be a matter of time before you'll leave. And when you leave, you may well be a fool who says that you're leaving because you can't confess your sins to the elders. And I mean, that's a howler. I mean, the comedy club has nothing on that one. I mean, you you all know the elders, right? I mean, I can't think of anybody I'd rather confess my sin to than... the, The problem is you couldn't do it because he'd be confessing his sins to you before you got it out of your mouth. All right, we'll keep going. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you leave us with no place to run and no place to hide. And that you are a God who is not in any way playing favorites with us because of our heritage, our lineage, because of our sacraments, but that what you desire is that we humble ourselves looking only to Jesus to cover our shame and our nakedness. Now, Father, feed us at your table, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.